Welcome to the Men Among Demons podcast. In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Opperwall. And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb. Hi, Greg. Hey, man. All right. Well, we have a special guest uh, on today's episode, Greg. And it is uh, Father Jeffrey Reddy from Toronto. Um, one of one of my favorite people. I don't know about you, <laughs> <laughs> but he's my yeah. colleague up at the University of Toronto and uh, uh, a priest of the Orthodox Church in America, and an all-around great guy, wonderful scholar, amazing New Testament scholar, preacher, all kinds of things. I could introduce you all evening, Father. Um, but welcome, welcome to Men Among Demons, Father Jeffrey. Thank you. And I can already tell from the welcome that I'm on the men side of that equation, not the demons. So I was a bit worried, you know, where would I be categorized? But it doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you finish. <laughs> we should try to get a demon guest sometime. That would we could really do this show. Uh alas, they don't they're tough to book. They're tough I feel to book. like I feel like some some kind of uh arcane rituals and and perhaps the drinking of blood would be necessary, but oh perhaps it could be. This is getting too it could real. Be arranged. It's getting too real for me. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of arcane rituals, though, uh, the topic that we wanted to talk to you about, uh, Father Jeffrey, and that brought you here for is um, one that was brought up to us by uh, a listener, you know, some time ago, maybe a year, maybe even two years ago, however long the show has been going, early in life of the show. Someone asked our opinion about this on Patreon, actually. Um, and Greg and I were both, you know, rather unsure how to answer uh, this question. But the, the question was, what is the role of psychedelic drugs and medications um, in Orthodox Christian life? Or what is the attitude that Orthodox Christians should be taking to these things? There is a huge amount of rapidly growing interest in psychedelics for mental health in microdosing uh in macrodosing and actually having psychedelic experiences and how that relates to, to mental health huge it's just booming it's exploding and i've been talking to people people come as i'm sure you both do as well people ask about this and it's just it's in the consciousness and you father jeffrey um are teaching a class on this and have a lot more knowledge about it it's I, it seems than uh than i certainly do and i think greg shares that as well. Uh, so we wanted to get your get your take on it. Tell us about psychedelics as an Orthodox Christian father. Yeah, so maybe just to introduce what I'm planning to do, the course will be offered this summer. Uh, and I'm taking that, you know, I think tried and true path of, I want to learn about something, so I'll arrange to teach a course on it, which will give me all the time in the world, or at least a constrained amount of it to do precisely that. And so, I mean, I've had a long standing interest in the subject, hmm. probably could have asked the kinds of questions you're hearing, uh, you know, from a decade or so ago. And I've been following this resurgence, this, you know, uh, revitalization of interest in <clears throat> psychedelics over that, that period and watched with some amazement as some of the, you know, things I'd hoped for, you know, like, you know, more medical attention and, and, and psychological attention to, to the value and, and, and benefits of this, because, I mean, we maybe talk about that this evening, but it was a huge movement to, to see how valuable these things could be, you know, in the 
40s and the 50s into the early 60s. They got swept up in the war on drugs, um, I think, quite by accident. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there at this point. But this resurgence, I think, has, has brought in an opportunity to, to reopen avenues of, of investigation that, that had begun way back then. So I've been watching this kind of unfold over the last few years with great amazement seeing not only books come out, but then Netflix specials and, and, and things like that. And so uh, at a certain point, I sort of, I thought to myself, um, what do I really think about this? I mean, I, the, the interest I had was led almost primarily in the first instance by the fact that I have three uh, children who are on the autistic spectrum and one of the promising areas of of benefit for these kinds of interventions is for people on the spectrum. And so that's where my initial interests have been. But but just sort of thoroughly investigating it, connecting it to an orthodox um, tradition and spiritual life and so forth was kind of where I needed to go next, just seeing that this was on the horizon. And so just to kind of bring that full circle, the course I'm offering this summer, I've entitled Mystical Traditions and the Sacred Journey of Transformation narrative, ritual, and entheogens. And that last term there is picking up on what is becoming the preferred term uh, in a kind of spiritual context and wisdom traditions and so forth for psychedelics, right? We can maybe unpack what the different terms mean, but, uh, you know, rather than associating this with the, the what would be called the recreational or entertainment use of this uh, on the one hand, or even on the other, just a purely pharmacological, medicinal use, you know, through big pharma, et cetera. Uh, and entheogen strictly puts it in the context of sacrament, ritual, wisdom, tradition, whether that's indigenous. So, okay. So hold on. Let, let's talk about that term then. Entheogen. Is, it, is this, am I breaking this down correctly in my mind? A, a, a drug that generates god in you is, is, yeah. is this yeah uh, an end godifying drug yeah so and i'm concerned about this but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean it comes from i mean we, i mean we talk about being enthusiastic don't we mm -hmm. so the the entheos part of that is exactly the the root of the word enthusiasm or enthusiastic right so that you have a the, the the experience of god within which which leads to that kind of level of of um you know, uh, of connection, you know, with the divine or, or so forth. And of course, the, 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 the gen part is geneste, which just means, you know, to, to generate. So it, it, these are things which generate the capacity within us to connect to God, right? So <laughs> essentially. I, I don't, I don't like it at all, but <laughs> you and, so, and, and, and just for the listeners, just, just so this is, um, <clears throat> well, it's worth our listeners being aware. Father Jeffrey and I talked oh, a couple months ago now um, on campus about about doing this this show this episode, and one of the things I was excited about is is um, I think we're going to disagree a lot, and uh, it's actually not something that happens all that often on this show, uh, but hopefully in a very productive and interesting way. But like it, it's I'm already a little bothered, but I don't want to intervene too much just yet as you as you set up your, uh, but we can maybe circle back. Yeah, I mean I, we can you know. We can probably 
find even better terms than that. It, the, it, the, the point for now is just it's to distinguish it from other uses because the word psychedelic has always sure, been yeah, quite, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all neologisms, right? I mean, they, this isn't right. what they were called, you know, they were just sacred plant medicine to indigenous peoples. They were, you know, they had hallucinogenic or, or psychoactive properties, you know, and then psychedelic itself was a neologism in the mid 20th century. And that, I mean, that really just means to manifest the soul, <laughs> you know, and I don't know whether you prefer that term necessarily, but uh, the, the point is that they do something about opening up um, a kind of expanded consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where their use within ancient wisdom traditions, you know, you know, could be found. And then obviously in these more modern and contemporary applications of them, they do something similar. So. The terminology doesn't really matter to me. I just I, oh I, sure. Well, I'm well. I, yeah, and I, I don't want to get hung up in it to be pedantic, but um, it's it's a potential gateway to get into the kinds of things we, we sure. like to explore in this show, mm -hmm. which is that uh, yeah. I mean, what what are the potentially demonic or angelic aspects of, of well, what are the gods? Itself? Which which gods do the do the do the does the theos name right? That that's what 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 divine experience. You know which divinity <laughs> are you right is, is, yeah. sort of the, is sort of the question but yeah do you like i wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more because i i'm sort of disconnected like what what this what resurgence you've been following like what is what i've sort of catched you know caught catched um <laughs> caught wind here and there you know people make little comments that make me think oh so this is the thing this is going to be the next thing or the new thing, but what's, but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly disconnected. So what, yeah. What, what is the resurgence that you've been following? So, I mean, I think the one major trend that's worth, you know, following fairly closely is the, the, the very respected, um, you know, medical practitioner and, uh, you know, venerable institution one, you know, so John Hopkins university um, has been uh, almost never losing that trend uh, that thread of 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 study from the 1950s and 1960s oh, okay. always some low ebb and some little way in which they were continuing that but they they've been at the the sort of cutting edge of this and so there's been there have been studies into various of the you know plant medicines or or fungi um that that are um, in play here so things like psilocybin which come from from mushrooms things like mdma which often people know by its street names, Molly or ecstasy, things like that, ketamine, um, ayahuasca, and so forth. But there have been various studies done in a whole lot of different areas. So we talk about something like addictions, because uh, this is where the, some of the most promising work had been in the right. 40s and 50s. In fact, the very guy who started Alcoholics Anonymous was using LSD initially, and a lot of AA stuff is based on insights that came from the use of LSD and so forth uh, back then. But um, so the treatment of alcoholism or smoking addiction, uh, I mean, it's just astonishing the when you know a single intervention with, with something from this broader field of psychedelics, often, you know, for addiction, it is the psilocybin uh, that's being used. Well, I mean, the as a indicator, I mean, using scientific language here, of you know, kind of uh, future uh, stability of somebody recovering from addiction, it's one of the the biggest ones. So, I mean, we're, we're talking factors of ten and twenty times more likely that mm -hmm. some, despite all the other availability of 
you know, addiction programs and smoking cessation programs and so forth. Something like this makes a really big difference. It doesn't, it doesn't remove the need to do kind of ongoing work. It just, right. a single intervention, it can make a big difference in long What's What's that intervention? Can, can you can you feel that in a little bit? Because it's it's not, well, I would be very skeptical if you told me you just, you go, you go drop acid and now you don't feel addicted to alcohol anymore. And I can't be that simple, right? Like there's got to be something else going on when you're taking this in right. terms of shaping the, you're trying to reshape the mind, it would seem to me, or maybe to some degree the brain as well, if you're yeah. dealing with chemical yeah. dependencies. So there's got to be something going on, right? Besides just, you don't just drop the pill and now you're yeah. fixed. And and that's, you know, and that's precisely the kind of thing we're trying to guard against here by saying, you know, we don't want to go purely in even a medicinal direction because you get something like, you know, commercial pharmacological companies on board and what they're going to want is something like that, right? A totally the, mechanized version, yeah. right? The yeah. trick of this is <clears throat> not that, that this opens up possibilities that are then filled in with, you know, what you know, I'm going to be calling the longer and transformative narrative of the thing and the ritual uh, and so forth that accompanies that in a spiritual tradition. But there'll be analogous things in a therapeutic environment, right? So it's all set and setting. Um, it's a guided journey. Uh, there are kinds of, um, uh, you know, going into the experience, you know, things that you need to do to prepare. Uh, it's about opening up you know the kind of thing you're talking about the the the, the possibility of the, the the brain and and the whole neurological system being able to make new connections one of the the ways it's been likened to is like a, a contact solution that can be poured into our neurological system so that synapses that were not connecting and not firing can suddenly do so there's a kind of plasticity to 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 the brain that is recovered through this but there's also um a possibility of of getting past the kinds of deep psychological and other blocks that are within us that have prevented you know overcoming things like addiction. I mean, th these are complicated things. It's not just a matter of you know people not willing uh, you know to do something. It, there might be some un un uh, interrogated uh, you know trauma or some kind of self defense mechanism that's kind of cropped into the psyche. So it's about opening up pathways forward but but to open up a road is not to, to do the same thing as driving on it you have to actually you know take those steps and, and get on and go in a certain direction and that's where the the whole guidance and the, the preparation the experience and then the the reintegration afterwards works that's why i said you know the an intervention like this is a good predictor of long-term positive outcomes it's not itself you know the drop the pill and, and and solve the problem, but but already I think you, you can see that there's things that that can maybe open up possibilities that weren't there before, right? So that's the, the addiction side. I can run through some of the other things that have happened in the the medical field, but maybe you want to follow up. Yeah, well, I was I was going to jump in there because um, this is I don't have a ton of experience with these things. So this is why you're you're on the show, but um, I do recall watching. I guess it was maybe that Netflix documentary that you you mentioned, or one of them. Maybe there are more than one. There are now. several, yeah. Um, and uh, watching the uh, testimony, you might call it, of a of a soldier. Uh, I think a Canadian soldier actually with very severe PTSD, um, post traumatic stress disorder, um, talking about what he had done using. Uh, and I think it might have been ketamine, but one of these, you know, is, yeah, ketamine is often used for PTSD. Intensive, yeah, exactly. But his description of the experience, 
I found really fascinating as someone who's done some trauma therapy of my own, because what he described to me <clears throat> was taking this medication a couple of times. I think it was two or three times or something in the case of this story and sitting and doing basically 24 hour ultra, ultra intensive trauma therapy sessions with his psychologist or psychiatrist, whoever was, was supervising this. Um, and what it reminded me of is a, is a much a very turned up version of something I myself had done, which is called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. And there's a lot of ideas out there about EMDR, but as someone who's done it, what what definitely what seemed to me to be happening, and I found EMDR very, very, very helpful. I should say that <clears throat> front and center, like it's, it was really huge. It was really key for me. Um, but what I felt like what was happening there was I was talking to a therapist and this exercise you're doing with my, you know, eyes and you kind of try to stimulate the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain back and forth, back and forth. What that was mainly doing was chilling me out physiologically um, so that highly traumatic events from the past didn't kick up my fight or flight mechanism with the same intensity or really even at all potentially so that I could then actually think about them and kind of deal with them, right? Because what has been happening, I think, for a lot of us who've dealt with, all people have dealt with some amount of trauma, even if it's just what they call small t trauma. Um, but what often happens is that traumatic memory, it kicks up and then the body gets just so, it's so intense. The physiological reaction is so intense and so immediate that you can't actually then sit down with this memory and kind of work through it and decide what you're going to do with it or how you, how you want to respond to it. Because you're, it's like the tiger is still there, right? Like you were attacked by a tiger. Someone says the word tiger and you are back as though the tiger is in the room. And that's not a good time to think about you know, processing, <laughs> um, you know, old memories, you got to run from the tiger. And the EMDR seemed to me to be really, really useful in like just chilling out the bodies. So then I can talk. So this soldier's um, account seemed to me to be this very, very similar kind of thing, uh, but ramped up even more for yet, yet far more intense trauma, get the body to chill out. Um, and I have a hundred percent believed his account of how helpful that was, but it's just seemed to me, again, I'm not a clinician or anything, that what helped, it's, there were, the ketamine was integral to this, right? Because you got to get the physiology. Like, it wouldn't work without it. I, I acknowledge that. But, like, that's not what seemed to me to be healing. And I think that was more or less his account as well. And I would say the same thing about moving my eyes back and forth, right, when I did EMDR. Um, it's moving your eyes back and forth isn't going to do a damn thing. But it might all by itself, but it might chill you out enough to do the kind of thing that does. Um, so if that's what we're talking about with these things, that to me makes all the sense in the universe. I can totally understand that. But that's why I wanted to, to sort of press you a little bit on the addiction thing, because it's my huge fear is that yet again, just like we saw with SSRIs, people are going to come in from pharmaceutical companies or from wherever else and say, this will mechanically fix you. The whole idea of SSRIs was the same thing. We're just going to give you, we're just going to get you a little bit out of that hole, a little bit out of the darkness for a while to work on what's really going on in your life so you can get to a better baseline. And we're just going to give you a physiological boost for now with this drug. Like that's the idea behind an appropriately prescribed antidepressant. But what we see now instead is TV ads telling you that the drug fixes you. TV ads or whatever telling you that your problem is you have a serotonin imbalance which there's no evidence for. 
right? And so then that the pill is fixing you and now you need to be on the pill forever. This is my fear yeah. with some of these. So it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's key to ask, not does the drug have a role or not? I'm 100% willing to believe that these drugs can play a role, but what's the therapy? What's healing the person? And I'm very, very loath to believe the chemical fixes your alcoholism, right? I think you've you've put your finger right on on the thing. I think there is though a difference between you know what SSRIs offer and what this offers. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah. Although you know the, there was a kind of myth that that's you know that was going to be about restoring a balance, so then you could proceed with this kind of healing and and so forth. And I don't doubt that for a lot of people, antidepressants have been helpful and, yeah, and so yeah. forth. So I mean, I'm not taking that taking anything away there are things across all of these different you know psychoactive psychedelic entheogenic you know plant medicines that go back thousands of years there are things that um that are themselves healing but they're not in in healing in the way that western medicine puts forward a you know a, some kind of okay you've got this problem with your body put this into your body and you will be fixed. It's not that kind of healing. This is healing with a, a kind of capital H. <laughs> uh, it, this is the healing that we talk about in the Orthodox Church of a kind of lifetime of a, a journey towards wholeness, right? And so there are, you know, different things that, uh, you know, consuming different medicines from you know these family of things can do that that create possibilities for walking through and doing this journey of transformation essentially and so you know for you know i mentioned the autism you know thing before um you know one of the and and, and i don't want to in any way suggest i mean i'm the father of, of, of kids on the spectrum i mean th these are not illnesses that need to be cured right but mm -hmm. attendant upon you know neuroatypical ways of you know, kind of experiencing the world are some major obstacles, right, for personal growth. And for example, one of them is, you know, a very pronounced ego, um, you know, to the point where, you know, the, the, this kind of mind blindness where nobody else has a could possibly have a different opinion from yours because, you know, your ego kind of trumps all. Well, one of the things that, you know, the LSD and, and, and psilocybin, for example, offer is the possibility of a kind of ego dissolution through the experience, right? Now, not that, again, this is not like a medicine that comes in and fixes an illness. It is just an experience that allows for a time a new perspective that if you work with and reintegrate in your life, then you can maybe you know, without talking about going from illness to, to healing in this instance, because I don't think autism is an illness, but you can begin to get a greater amount of perspective on the kinds of frameworks of thinking about the, your world and experience and so forth, you know, it, something different from what you had before, or the kind of 
lack of social connection that people have, you know, who are on the spectrum. Here again, you know, things like MDMA, which is known as a kind of relationship builder of sorts, it 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 activates parts of the brain that enable us to make you know deeper connections. So if, if part of that experience is going through a trip, however you want to call it, in which those connections become possible, it's maybe something that could be reintegrated into someone's experience thereafter. And, you know, they'll be able to navigate the world and form deeper bonds with other human beings and, and have a better sense that, you know, they belong in a kind of social environment than, than possibly they had before. And of course, there are, you know, every person who's on the spectrum is different. Uh, it's the thing about autism, you've met one, you've met one. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> so, um, but I, I so it, it it's it, a little bit of what you're saying, but I think there's a little bit more to it than that when it's properly situated within um, a broader, what I call narrative. You know, that's my bias being a theologian and a lit liturgist and, uh, and being focused on that. But within other kinds of therapeutic context, they might call you know something else like a long longer period of, of therapy. But basically a paradigm that works towards the, the wholeness of, of a human being, the, the total well-being and, and life satisfaction and and so forth. And, and there's just such promising results that are being had in places like addiction or people who have got, you know, trauma, PTSD that, that, that you mentioned, uh, relationship, you know, difficulties. Or one of the Johns Hopkins um, studies they did was with terminally ill cancer patients, people that, you know, were just anxious and terrified out of their minds, the experiences they were going through. And with one intervention of psilocybin, the vast majority of them came to peace with their own mortality, with their own situation in life. And they were not only, uh, that was that a healing experience for them, but for all the people they knew, people that, 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 that were their loved ones came to a greater understanding of, of, of peace and serenity around that whole experience. I just think this, this could be promising on so many you know, different levels. And for us as Orthodox Christians, uh, I think it ultimately makes sense because what we're finally talking about in terms of you know, what is properly healing about all this is a journey towards you know, interconnection, self-sacrificial love, uh, unity, you know, between um, all people and so forth. The things we talk about theologically are actually being discussed under a therapeutic lens by, you know, these kinds of studies and so forth. So uh, to me, that's where the interesting, you know, connection was made. And I thought, well, well, how does this then fit within, you know, our deeper wisdom tradition and so forth? If these indigenous, you know, peoples have had these medicines for the longest time, have integrated them into narrative, their own narrative and sacred rituals and sacraments and so forth. Is there a connection with our own, you know, deeper tradition, uh, which are all about things like ego death, you know, dying. We, we've got that in the scriptures, right? You know, die to yourself and so that Christ may, may live in you and so forth. It, it sounds uh, alike enough that it's worth, you know, kind of talking about. What are you thinking here, Greg? I got plenty of things I could say, but. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm wondering about both sort of both sides of that. Like <clears throat> if this is something more than a kind of mechanical, you know, instrumental pharmacological inter intervention, take the pill and you get, and you know, it, it does autonomously the thing that needs to happen in your body that there's maybe a little bit of that going on, but, but it needs to be set 
there's also yeah if it's not if it's not just sort of a, a mechanistic way of of solving a problem then it's got to be set within a context i wonder if on the one hand we know what we know about the contexts the kind of the the, the ritual ceremonial sacramental contexts in 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 some of the cultures that do have an experience where where some of these uh, materials are traditional right what we know about about the traditions that surround the traditional use of of substances like these and then and then on the flip side like what it means for for us with a very robust tradition to encounter something like this that is outside of our tradition right like how do right we have we have a very you know we we've we've tried to maintain a stocked medicine cabinet over over the 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 millennia of of the existence of this of this tradition that we're a part of um, to deal with these issues. And here's like a new, here's, and here, now here's something else or a family of something else's. And so how to think about like, what does it mean to incorporate a new tradition into Orthodox Christianity? But first of all, yeah, that, that, that first part, like what, what are, what are the ritual settings for this? What kind of guidance, what kind of spiritual guidance do you need to accompany? Do other, have other cultures thought needed to accompany the use of substances like these what does it look like i think it's fair to say that it's very varied and diverse across time and we have pretty good evidence this goes back you know thousands tens of thousands of years right are there and, any cultures in particular that you'd point to that 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 are that seem particularly you know full of possibility for exploration I think the one, I mean, it, it closer to home in our own time, in our own place, are obviously, um, you know, Native American, uh, you know, groups that have been using things like peyote, ayahuasca, um, and, you know, various forms uh, of mushrooms and, and, and so forth. Um, the, I mean, the sad reality of the encounter has been a kind of colonial exploitation of things. And so, I mean, almost any story I could tell you has the, the upside of saying, you know, there's this deeply embedded, long-standing tradition, uh, and it was preserved over millennia. But then somebody, you know, from Life magazine met them in 1955, like Maria Saliba, I think you call her, um, in, in Mexico, where the uh, that's how the magic mushroom was discovered by America. Yeah, yeah. It was a big expose in Life magazine about how this healing woman a sh shaman kind of figure, um, you know, led rituals in, in her tribe, it, you know, perfectly safe. Um, you know, no, there were no bad trips and, 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 and horrible experiences and, and all the, the, the negative side effects that we got from the American counterculture and, you know, the use of this recreationally and so forth. But it did destroy mm -hmm. that tribe. It did destroy the ecosystem that they had built up um, mm -hmm. and so forth. So, so it, it's hard to observe and comment on without destroying. I think that's been the sad reality of, of indigenous and um, settler contact. And it, it, it's, it's amped up, you know, in this story. But what we do know of situations like, or, or again, like we've got, you know, it's the Native American church, which was the only legal entity in the United States that after the war on drugs in the late 60s was allowed to continue using substances like this they got a religious um you know uh, in, injunction you know against the, the 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 authorities to be able to keep using that 
or indeed, you know, tribes like in Mexico. One of my contacts who's going to be coming to speak at our, our course is a researcher at CAMH here in Toronto, uh, who for 45 years has been uh, doing work with a tribe in South America that uses ayahuasca. Um, and his research has been around addictions and so forth. And so he's been going down and, and as a much more gentle observer and not interfering with that, probably doesn't want to give the address of where he goes, uh, has been, you know, you know, doing that sort of work. So what we know is, I mean, it is diverse, it is um, varied, but broadly, uh, it, I think it has a few different characteristics. One is that, um, you know, it's not an extraordinary or, you know, unusual thing. You know, it's part, it's been made part of, um, you know, ordinary ritual and so forth. So the, this North American, you know, Native American church uh, would have used that the way we use you know, alcoholic wine in our uh, sacraments, they would they would have incorporated this into their sacramental usage and so forth. And so that would probably be at a relatively low level of of, of consumption. We're not talking about you know massive trip inducing consumption, right. but what we might call microdosing or something like that. You know, in our context um, today. But alongside that are the more in our language, therapeutic interventions that, that would take place, people who, who were maybe troubled, people who maybe had something like PTSD or whatever people do, you know, in, in, in those kinds of contexts um, where, you know, a, a guide would lead somebody on a deeper, you know, visioning and, you know, therapeutic journey of sorts, right? And, and that's what this um, woman that Life Magazine went and exposed in, in the 1950s in, in Mexico had been doing and, and to great effect, you know, so it was very, you know, healing and and, and wholeness inducing for, for her community and, and so forth. Um, so there's, I mean, it's a little bit of, of everything and all that, but the one thing I would maybe, um, challenge a little bit in, in how you'd set that whole question up that, that <clears throat> so foreign to to our our tradition I mean, we don't necessarily know that um you know the you know it was interesting when recently some archaeologists had found that in a synagogue in ancient um israel there were some psychoactive properties in the incense that had been <laughs> you know kind of um you know preserved there and uh you know so that is interesting, and, and there, there have been a lot of studies done of kind of ancient religion, the emergence of religion and so forth, and how there may be a connection, you know, across the board with these things. But the thing that's actually more interesting to me on that question is, is what's happening when people use this, these sorts of natural substances, because they are, I mean, you, that you can grow them in your garden, you can, you know, pick them uh, out of the woods when you're foraging and, and so forth and just consume them very naturally. This doesn't have to go through any kind of massive commercial, you know, uh, hyper processed um, engineering effort of any kind that when you consume these natural um products as a catalyst for this kind of experience, does it lead to a different state of consciousness than any one of a, no a number of catalysts that we have within our tradition that are considered venerable, right? Uh, and, and not just within Orthodox Christian tradition, but across a whole lot of religious traditions, There's a whole lot of things that people do to, to take themselves to 
you know, what are today called non-ordinary states of consciousness or expanded states of consciousness, these kind of moments of connection or communion, you know, with, with the divine. And I'm thinking about things like fasting for days on end or, or staying up, you know, for, for long vigils or as certain spiritual figures, you know, tell us to do, sit on a very low stool, hunch over, do weird breathing exercises over a long period of time, do rhythmic, prayerful uh, chants, um, in other contexts, not so much our own, you know, there's rhythmic dancing and uh, ceremonial drumming and, and all kinds of things. And all of these, it appears, you know, the researchers have, have done studies lead to effectively the same place for our body souls, right? For, 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 for who we are. Um, so what, regardless of what your catalyst is, we're, we're brought to a place where we can are more open to certain types of experience. And those experiences, you know, can share a number, you know, characteristics, a feeling of oneness, you know, with something that's transcendent, a feeling of, of, of being delivered from things that, that are uh, weighing us down, unlocking doors that had been, you know, barred against us and that sort of thing. And again, it's not the experience itself that is ultimately going to do anything. I mean, it, how marvelous is that? Maybe you come up with a little bit of euphoria from that, but the, the, the real work is done in preparing for and then being able to integrate those experiences into what I'm calling the sacred journey of transformation, but that longer <laughs> arc, right, of, of, of our life's journey of dying, you know, of living, dying and, and rising, uh, which is of course the Christian way of describing that process. But so, okay, so it, it, there's there's kind of two streams of things going on here, it seems to me. One would be what you might call a kind of, well, really basically a medical therapeutic set of questions. This Things like addiction recovery, right? This is things like, uh, you know, how it interacts with autism, uh, these sorts of issues. Uh, and then there's this other piece, this is what you're getting into, which is in a lot of ways the more interesting and significant piece for us is, well, what you just landed on there. The, how, whether, and how this can this can and should be part of that that spiritual journey. But on the basis of what you just said, I mean, my first instinct is to say, I'm willing to believe you that a lot of these um, techniques or whatever, whether it's breathing techniques or yeah, or just just staying up late, having not eaten uh, anything all day, you know, on Holy Saturday and. Um, you know, you certainly your, your mind gets into a certain kind of place. Um, I, I get it. Um, but isn't it could not just be is it, it my immediate reaction to that is that's why we don't need to start taking mushrooms as Orthodox Christians. We have tried and true traditions around this. And I think that's maybe part of your question there, Greg, that that are integrated. And and yeah, you can point to like, yeah, maybe in the ancient world, I don't know, maybe they were putting mushrooms in the incense. I'm willing to believe that. But the fact is, we don't have an organic continuous tradition to connect us with. We don't know what they were doing. I don't know anything that was going on around it. It hasn't survived, which means that it's, it's really just sort of a relic that may or may not be back there. And we'd be recreating it if we tried, and we might get that wrong. But so why introduce something um, and because I also want to ask you about, maybe this is actually a better topic for the second half, but the spiritual danger, right? Like, but why introduce something novel that maybe has risks um, when we've got, when we, we can already do this the way we've been doing for thousands of years?
Yeah, my, I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic with, with what you're saying there. And I think broadly want to agree, you know, I think for a lot of people, there is no necessary reason to do this. And so, uh, you know, if I read to you my, the, the long description, not necessarily long, but a whole paragraph description of my course, I get there, you know, so you know, the, the, the key for me is that we need to engage people in the sacred journey of transformation. I think that's the universal call for human beings, that we live, die, and rise, even before we lay down our mortal coil, that we, we go through that process. I think that's what we're called to do. I think that's what the gospel, that's what St. Paul calls us to do in, in terms of dying to ourselves and rising with Christ. We, we sacramentally do that in baptism, and we're, we're meant to live that out. And, and so that's the kind of longer narrative arc that I want to engage people in. I do, however, think, and this is where these two aspects connect, for a lot of people, they're stuck. For a lot of people, they, they, they can't take very many steps forward on that journey, uh, precisely because of addictions and trauma and blockages in their, you know, maybe it's even family history that's come down to them or, you know, some kind of, of, uh, of, of disorder, you know, within, within their, their personal life. Accompanying my course, by the way, I, I'm, I'm using Dante's um, Divine Comedy as a, a kind of a narrative foil through the whole course, right? So we're actually going to, almost as an optional thing for the students to go and read it, but I am going to be reflecting throughout on uh, you know, in, Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. And I mean, the, 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 I think the proper way of reading the Divine Comedy is not as these are three places you might end up after you die, but rather this is about the journey of transformation. That's why there's a journey right through the whole thing. And what's, I mean, let's leave aside Paradiso. It's the most boring bit, as you know, uh, because it's too, it's ineffable. And so if you start talking about it, it becomes really boring. And I think the, the, the end there is, it doesn't do Dante any credit. But where he's really interesting is Inferno and, and Purgatorio. And the difference between the people who are in the, in hell or in Purgatory is simply the ones in hell are stuck. Right. They, 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 they've suffered the exact same things, as it were, that the people in purgatory did. Uh, you know, they committed the same things or they, they experienced the same realities. But for whatever reason, they, they were not able to move forward. Right. They were not able to, to kind of make the journey their own. And so I think this is where catalysts of various kinds, um, including the things that we have within already our arsenal, our toolkit within the Orthodox Christian life, but it could very well be, and this is where we intersect with a, you know, a proper medical usage of, of these things. It could be that the thing that will unstick people or un, you know, get them going in the spiritual life might be interventions like this. They go on a, on a, on a spiritual retreat where you know, they are, after a long period of preparation, they can go through an experience that will get them moving in the direction of reconnecting with people if they've you know just become so disconnected, so filled with with hate perhaps and 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 unforgiveness um, or you know they're carrying you know bitterness and trauma and hurt from from deep, deep wounds. this could be in fact the thing that gets people out of, inferno into purgatorio and of course purgatorio isn't a destination it is the, the very place where people are working on the things they're supposed to work on in order to journey towards um the kingdom and so i i do think this is where it's not a different thing 
you know, it's not a different thing on the, on the spiritual side. It's not a different thing on, on the medical side. I think this is where there's potentially just the way I'm hearing the way these studies are talking and these, these testimonies, these accounts, they sound far, far too close to what we are trying to do pastorally already within churches to, for me to ignore. And I just think there's an opportunity here for us to, to kind of investigate that and, and to see whether in certain cases, I wouldn't universalize this or say, you know, give everybody, you know, um, a trip although there may be a level in which all of humanity could really benefit, you know, from uh, something like this, because we're, you know, on, on the edge of climate disaster and, you know, pulling our... Uh, well, so, but now, now you sound, now you sound like the guys from the 60s again, but right? Then, I'll back off of that, because, you know... Well, and I, but I hope you do, because and this is not, this is not a flipping point, it's slightly a joke, but, like, there were a lot of people in the mid-20th century who literally believed, literally believed, you just get the, everyone to put the acid, to take the acid, and we will have utopia. And that's not an example. We laugh at how idiotically dumb that is. But there were people who absolutely believed this. And my fear is that we're going to fuel a whole new generation of these wackos. And they are so dead wrong. I want to turn it around because I actually, it, it, I don't think it's as simple as that. Although, you know, once you start to learn about the 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 wonderful miracle that's at the heart of creation called the fungus kingdom, right? When you start exploring it, you'll, you'll, you'll just be amazed at what its possibilities might even be in terms of cleaning up pollution and, and solving the climate. Well, that's crisis. great. That's all, that's, that's not all, the that's same. It's saying we all take acid and then we have utility. No, 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 no. I don't believe that. And you'll never <laughs> get me to believe that. No, I, I don't think I, you believe that either. No, no, but I, I'm, what I, I'm pointing to is that there are people who have, and there are people who do. It is not a, it is not a completely out there thing. And it's part and parcel of my biggest concern, which is that that notion that the chemical does it. And I don't, I just don't buy that. It does a lot, but it needs the journey of transformation. I mean, there was that one testimony that was on BBC News not too long ago where some white supremacist, you know, very hardened, you know, anti, uh, you know, immigrant, you know, very racist, you know, figure who just believed every conspiracy theory under the, the sun had one experience of MDMA and decided to leave that whole, you know, way of thinking. Yeah, that's, 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 that's pure marvelous. anecdote, though. That's that pure, pure anecdote. anecdote. So I don't believe I mean, you, you, oh, he's the guy who gets on CBC. That doesn't mean <laughs> that there's any anything to the idea that, I mean, it, it, with pure anecdote, the correlation is is meaningless, right? Like, we don't we don't even know what caused what. This is one guy, and he's a self-selecting population because the story is so crazy, and because it feeds this narrative. The precise of the narrative that I'm worried about, which is right. you take the pill, you stop being a Klansman. I exactly no maybe that happened to this guy, maybe, but he's one dude. I don't think we go give LSD to everyone in the clan and now white supremacy's gone. But it would be I, interesting to, to do that as an experiment. But no. Well, if we're doing it on a Klansman, because, I mean, I'm fine. We can do who's whatever. Doing your, who's doing your You're ethics clearance, Father? Who's doing your, who's, who's so, doing your research ethics clearance? I'm not interested in protecting Klansmen, so fine. <laughs> that, but like, it's not going to work. No, no. The way I wanted to kind of actually flip that around, because I want to flip it. I hope you realize. No, here's the interesting thing. Why did a lot of this stuff get sort of swept up in the war on drugs. I mean, there genuinely are a whole lot of very dangerous, addictive substances out there that lead you on a just a kind of journey to hell, right? As you go from one one to the next. Whereas all this was kind of wrapped up 
originally in some very promising scientific research and everything, why did it get swept, you know, in with it? Well, I mean, the cynic in me does think, although it's not true that you, you know, dose a population and, and you'll have instant harmony on earth. There was a correlation between, you know, people who were maybe following the likes of Timothy Leary on, on this journey and the people who were not wanting to sign up for the Vietnam War. And so Richard Nixon had a really, really good reason to, to fight against this and consider it along with all the other, whatever you call it, class A or schedule one substances that, that were banned at the time, right? And there's something very odd about banning mushrooms, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fungus kingdom is the, the largest and oldest, you know, uh, part of creation. And, uh, you know, the, for, for the government to come along and say it's illegal is a bit odd when you can find them cropping up all over the place. But I, I do think there is a correlation, possibly, the cynic in me says, between the people who were not wanting to go and fight overseas against people they hadn't met because and at least it correlated with the people who were tuning in, turning on, dropping out um, at the time. So I, there's that. But no, I, I agree. It's, it would be flippant to suggest anything like uh, there's a direct, you take the pill and, and you can solve the world's problems. But the journey of transformation, I would say, is what everybody has to be brought on. And I, and I think there are interesting ways. And so some of the studies aren't just these medical ones, but studies that have been done with people who are themselves, you know, in religion, people, ministers of religion, or people who are already, you know, very deep, uh, prayerful Christians and so forth, and their own experience, both studies that were done before the so-called war on drugs that swept this all up, and new studies. Again, Johns Hopkins has uh, worked with New York University, and they did a study uh, with about 25, uh, mostly Christian, but also Jewish um, uh, Buddhist and and other religious leaders, uh, and what comes back time and time again from from these studies is that there, this is not another thing. This is not a new or different thing. This is uh, a deeper way of experiencing what people had already experienced, or for people who had already had deep experiences, it's just the same, right? But the, the, it, it's really getting at the same territory, which is why I think it's worth investigating, not as a universal panacea and not as something we want to, you know, kind of roll out in communion at the divine liturgy each week, right? I, I'm not at all suggesting that, but in a, in a certain church involved, and why church involved? Because we need the narrative, right? You can't count on the doctors and therapists to provide that narrative. The narrative comes from our sacred scriptures. It comes from our deep wells of tradition and so forth, but it's something that's church involved, some kind of therapy for people who, who need it, who are stuck in these addictions or traumas or, or, or deep, deep, deeply anxious situations like uh, facing terminal diagnoses and things like that. I think in these cases, the, you know, for a long time now, we've wondered how do we actually intersect with things like psychotherapy and, and all kinds of uh, modern sciences of, of mental health and so forth. And, and church is either withdrawn or the church has overstepped. But I think here's an opportunity before this really gets going. And we've talked about a revival, but it's not yet legal. The only thing that's legal in Ontario where we're speaking, or at least two of us are speaking, um, is that ketamine um, 
you know, uh, assisted therapy, right? So no, no other substance is, is legal. Some studies are being done, but th there is no other thing that you can apply as a psychotherapist, you know, to, to use in, in therapy. So, but we're maybe a few years off this, but if it does happen, I would like your research to say something other than just, oh, that we don't know anything about that. We don't care. Let's abstain or yeah. condemn it or indeed just, you know, not even say anything and allow people to sort of approach this recreationally or, or otherwise. I just think we have the best story of transformation. Uh, so why not, you know, do something to at least have that dialogue going at this point? Yeah, well, in, in, in that sense, I think what you're saying is is be, probably literally beyond debate. The church has to develop a response to this. And I think it's it's significant and important to take to take very seriously some of the positives or the green shoots or all these things that you're sort of saying. Um, so this is basically our break moment to cut between the halves, uh, halves. <laughs> and uh, so let's, let's do that. Let's take our break because I want to push you in the second half um, on the other side of this coin that we haven't touched yet at all. I mean, I feel like so far we've almost had, uh, and I don't mean, don't take this in the wrong way, but it, like a, a sales pitch for this stuff. And there's gotta be more to it. This is the men among demons show. I want to talk about the demons and the dangers, but let's let's take a quick break, uh, refill those of us who have a psychoactive substance in their glass uh, <laughs> that we're very comfortable with. Uh, we'll refill that um, as beer is what I meant. I was talking about beer. I don't it's traditional. It's traditional. Yes, it's very traditional. Can I just make the very obvious point that you would not have beer yeah. without fungus? Oh, I have no problem with fungus, Father. My fungus, I love. <laughs> All right, well, let's take our break and we'll come back and uh, maybe we'll start on that danger topic. Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash menamongdemons for exclusive content and to join the conversation. Okay, well, back from our break. Um, so, Greg, I wanted to return to what something you said, Greg, right at the beginning, and Theogen's and you said something along the lines of, if they're instantiating a god, which god? <laughs> leading, leading you into one, yeah. Yeah, what, what, you want to unpack that a little bit? And uh, we, can throw it, we can throw it at Father Jeffrey? Throw. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously that's being a bit flippant too. And, and you, can make, you can make too much of etymology sometimes, but it is a bit suggestive, you know... Well, geez, even enthusiasm, right? Like, yeah, losing yourself in the moment. Um, when you get really enthusiastic about things, like if I imagine the times when that was over the top for me, what I would think of would be like musical experiences, concerts, or or maybe um, you know sporting events or whatever. And it's entirely like it makes perfect sense to me that you can you can sort of socially induce how would you describe it i mean maybe we should just find some language for it but like socially induce a kind of um openness to a sort of a spiritual openness to a to a kind of to a kind of movement a kind of excitement a kind of something that's happening but know that concert experiences i've been to some great concerts they're very they're very liturgical they're very ritual they're very much they're very cultic Right, they're extremely cultic experiences, uh, which is why we even use, you know, we'll use that 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 word sometimes uh, 
like a cult cult follower of uh of of you know this or that band i don't know the actual phrases are escaping my mind but so it's 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 entirely intelligible to me to think about um different different human experiences that that just that that exercise that kind of opening and that if you were to enumerate them you could also count um psychedelics what's our term <laughs> enthusiasts theogens theogens is what father jeffrey wants right um so but it does like but it does raise the question like that's certainly not always good right and and you're and you do very much risk um opening yourself to moments i mean we can think of mob mentality this way as well right you can get caught up in something you can get caught up in something that's going to end in a lynching or you know or, or a, a vancouver a hockey riot yeah a vancouver hockey riot or or putting someone on a cross um yeah right like so you know we, we, it, it's intelligible that this kind of thing happens and so like is that uh, am i right do you well, like what do you think father jeffrey do you think that like it's um, you know it's right to make the, this kind of connection here we're talking about the same family or related families of things here or, or, or what's your sense yeah, no, I I think that's a slightly different phenomenon. You know, that kind of um, you know hysteria, excitement, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the the phenomenon is different, but I think the issue at hand, the the issue to explore is that when you talk about these sorts of things opening us up, just that by itself is not inherently a good thing. I've been opened for all kinds of reasons to all kinds of awful stuff, including, you know, with psychoactive drugs, I've, I've never consumed what I psychedelics <laughs> and theogens myself. Um, I'm not, you know, not casting shade on those who maybe have, but uh, I, I have not, but, you know, certainly, uh, you know, after a few drinks, you're open, you're open to a lot, you know, but that is, and, and there, to me clear, there have been many times in my life where, you know, the openness of having a few drinks, far more often than not has been wonderful right the result has been bonding with a friend right and uh you know ending the evening with a you know big hug and uh just realizing how much you love and appreciate this person right like a couple of beers can put you in that state and that's i would say that's that's good but it can also um you know it can also you're you're just open the thing is you're now you're just open and yeah. what comes in is is the big question at that point. Like, what are you, what walks through the door? Good points. But I think it's more than just lowering inhibitions, which is, I think, what the, the effects of, of alcohol, which is a, a horrible drug, actually, you know, you consider it's highly addictive. It has, it impairs people almost immediately. Uh, but we, we use it sacramentally in the Orthodox Church. So it's, um, it's an odd thing, you know, and I know this day is going to come. And I, I mean, I even heard someone the other night on an unrelated, um, you know, Orthodox podcast refer to, oh, do you know that they've even, you know, uh, decriminalized magic mushrooms in Oregon? Oh, that's how horrible is that? You know, but we use alcohol, you know, 
in a sacred way within our our tradition and so forth. So for the alcohol, yeah, the the the, the social connector is the lowering of inhibitions and and being able to right, 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 right. access uh, emotional uh, expression that you wouldn't otherwise have done. You know, you're you're all reserved. Well, now you're not so reserved, and you're creating those kind of social. You know, yeah, yeah. Things. And again, again, I'm not saying this is the same mechanism. No, I, I know the but, same but, physiological but, effect, but the spiritual issue that I'm that I'm after is what I'm trying to get well, to. Well, that's, yeah, you sure. opened a door. It's maybe it's a different door with a psychedelic, but you've opened a door. But yeah. but that's only the beginning. Now it's a question of right what comes so, through the door. That and the the door as it's opened in you know by these various things they do slightly different you know things to to the body soul that we are. Um, it, it it also creates a space for this kind of more inner journey and spiritual reflection on our identity, on our connection, you know, with others. So it, it's, it has much more of this kind of uh, inner quality to it than, than these other things. So I think that's just has to be, you know, set out there, but absolutely the, 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 the whole point is openness, even in this, you know, kind of more spiritual sense, this more inner journey sense, this inner transformation sense, is not the point, right? You need to be within, you know, a whole uh, tradition of uh, that, that can help you to understand what it would be like to be in that position, in that posture, and to be able to do something with it. So if you are surrounded by a narrative that tells you that the the, the highest good is to love someone self-sacrificially, uh, to, to move to a place of not bearing hurts against others and rather forgiving others, if, if that's what you're going into this with. And it, what it's very important in the experience itself to even have a purpose for that, right? To, to go in, you know, my purpose is to, to, to begin to forgive, you know, this person who sexually abused me 25 years ago or whatever, right? That I need to get past that. That's the blockage in my spiritual life. I'm, I'm stuck. I can't pray. I can't move on. Uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm tormented by that. If you go in with that very clear goal in mind within this wider tradition uh, and, and narrative of transformation, and you can, you have a fighting chance of, of, of getting some perspective on that and maybe making some progress and, and moving through that. But it's the overall story that's doing the healing, that's doing the transformation. And so absolutely, for those who are just taking these recreationally or outside of any wisdom tradition that could offer that kind of perspective, they could be open to all manner of different things. And so, and hence the phenomenon of the so-called bad trip, right? Yeah. A bad trip isn't necessarily one that didn't work or one that actually was working in a hurtful way. It's one that was not able to be understood or integrated or one that made sense. Because one of the things that we might learn as we're dealing with things like trauma or anxiety or you know some kind of repressed abuse that we'd experienced or whatever, it, the, it's about bringing out negative things that have to be let go of. And if, if we're just have no concept or perspective or idea of how to kind of process any of that or no guide if we're doing this on our own somewhere right and, and just taking that then hence this phenomenon of, of a bad experience and so yeah do we have just to get at this from the other way around do we have a sense for do you have a sense for the like what what happens with the bad trip of, or what the patterns are yeah. Like is there study? Is there even study? Is there study on that that we like? What are the patterns behind a behind a bad trip? 
What kinds and, of things are not happening or what kinds of things are happening? Well, the same things are happening. They're just not being processed. The same things are happening. The, the negative. By whom? By who, not processed by whom? By the person who's undergoing the, the experience, right? So, so, so a lot of, you know, they might have an experience of, of, you know, feeling alienated or in darkness or, you know, uh, being abandoned or in kind of a dark night of the soul. Imagine having the, you know, St. John of the Cross's experience, uh, but not believing in God or knowing about God or knowing anything about it. It would be terrifying. It would be like an experience of, of hell. Um, and so it, I warrant that the best, you know, defense against something like a bad trip is to have the the deepest, widest, longest tradition uh, of understanding of spiritual growth going into that. And there's nothing that couldn't be faced up to, you know, within that. But but if these things are soul revealing as in that psychedelic, you know, uh, etymology, then we can confront some pretty dark things in our soul. I and mean, we're meant to be doing that anyway through our daily, uh, you know, experience of repentance, of our use of the sacrament of confession or sacrament of unction, through our going through the liturgical year with its journey, especially through Lent to Pascha and so forth. These are all meant to be facing up to darkness, you know, experiences. And so in this intensified, you know, moment of that, a bad trip, is just somebody who's not prepared spiritually to to face up to what they what has been revealed. So, but the, so that seems to me to 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 cut past or skirt around something that um, I just you know again don't have a firsthand experience. But I'm all I'm almost just analytically unwilling to believe there seems to be an implication of what you're saying that it is not possible for these for this kind of spiritual openness to be taken advantage of by demons. And I, I really struggle to believe that because I don't even see within, even within our church tradition, you know, the things we were talking about earlier, like the other, you know, the tried and true pathways or whatever, all, if you read like the desert fathers, it is all over the place. Yeah. How the demons yeah. can take advantage of fasting, right. Absolutely. And how they can take advantage of. And, and so you've got to be not just you doing the thing still remains worth doing, but, and it's not just, Oh, well, I didn't have guidance. So, like, what could have been, you know, what was an what was an angelic experience was a sort of de-angelicized, like a real, real going off the rails of the thing. It seems to me has got to be a danger. Would you disagree? No, not at all. No, I, I, that's kind of what I meant. With you're, you're facing up to the darkness uh, and so forth. I mean, if you're doing that without the the sense in which, you know, Christ has already emptied those satanic and demonic powers of all of their authority, if you don't go in with the understanding that, you know, by his resurrection, Christ has already won the victory, although there's a lot of skirmishes to be, you know, mopped up and so forth. If you don't go in with that confidence of an exorcism, um, then when you're confronted with these things, you are, you're a prey to them. But, but you're quite right. It would be the same thing, I think, you know, inviting somebody without any preparation to a Paschal vigil that's done properly. Right, uh, it's the same thing. It is. Oh, it is. It is. We know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had experiences of, you know, the the making a catechumen, the exorcism, where, it, I mean, I've done that perfunctorily a lot, right? Where it's just you're reading prayers, and yes, we're proclaiming the truth of Scripture, um, you know, in the face of you know, the, the the candidate in front. But I have had experiences where that was genuinely an exorcism. I knew in my heart of hearts what was happening. And mm -hmm. I had difficulty 
proceeding, and yet I got through because I knew Christ had already. I mean, I was I believed the words I was saying, right? Mm-hmm. But had somebody who you know was just reading those things and confronting that reality and not had you know that utter conviction, knowing the, the way the story is going, unfolding and ending. Um, you know, that would have been a very dangerous situation to have been in indeed. I, I find that happens more often than we realize in, in our real Christian life, in our real pastoral life, and, and so forth. So absolutely, I think everything you said about, you know, you know, all it applies to every aspect of, of our I mean, we're genuinely growing and developing and 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 moving towards the kingdom of God. There are powers who may have been emptied ultimately of their authority over whom, you know, um, you know, Christ reigns, yet nevertheless, we can empower them again if we're not careful, right, by handing back, you know, control. And that's the thing we should be aware of in every aspect of, of, of the spiritual life. So I, that's why, I mean, it's pre- you're kind of precisely making my point. I don't want to see this, you know, untethered from the tradi- the very tradition that gives any fighting chance that these kinds of things could work to to trounce demons and win people for the kingdom of God. Yeah, like I think it's important to it's helpful to remember that like in the monastic tradition, especially right, the Evagrian monastic tradition, what the one of the sort of most the most common way of demons presenting themselves to you is in in the form of your own thoughts. Right? It's that's that's this that's the phenomenology of of the demonic for a lot of monastic battle is your is right fighting against your own thoughts so the stuff that in other words that that openness opening up things about you right things from the depths of your soul doesn't doesn't strike me as being mutually exclusive as like an either or between the 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 dark the dark corners of your own soul being laid bare and and the demonic the demonic would be exactly something like the suggestion that that dark like that that could it could be something for example like the suggestion that that darkness that's uncovered in your own soul in your own soul is is actually all there is mm. right that that that's all you are or that's all right something like that like it's entirely conceivable to me that that that, that would give a as it were a body to to the demonic Hence the need for wrapping anything, any of these things. So I mean, I've talked about a lot of different catalysts, and you mentioned, you know, a few too. We, they all have to be, to be wrapped in the very best presentation of the big, biggest story of all, right? And guided, you know, by all those things that are tried and true, the the liturgy and sacraments of the church and all of those, you know, spiritual disciplines. And, you know, so in, in my course, we're, we're, the other thing that runs right through it is the reading the mystical tradition from, you know, ancient times right through to today and, you know, hearing from people who've had their own experiences of, of the divine, um, sometimes at great difficulty and at, you know, great cost, but they persevered because of their being embraced by that wider tradition. My real fear is any of these kinds of things happening without guidance and, you know, what is ultimately the the proper set and setting for, for any of these things, which is a proper experience of, 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 of God as the one who ultimately is drawing all things to himself. So, so this raises one of the, the issues that looms very large in my mind, both when I look at society broadly, but also with the church, which is how many people 
out there do you think are there going to be who are competent to actually handle this kind of thing in in conversation with someone who's good, who's using it in a way that isn't going to hurt them never mind or, never mind orthodox right never like mind orthodox at all at kind of all. kind of like the therapeutic right the question of therapy. precisely how many precisely. Good therapists are there out there <laughs> yes and the, and it's it, it's less, less than, than there should be <laughs> and it's very very similar with current psych, psychological this oh. current psychiatric you know yeah. medical approaches pharmaceutical psychiatric approaches i do not have a, an absolutist attitude towards those but one of the big things that i see happening around me is those things getting prescribed like candy by family doctors who don't have the time who to sit and and go through this kind of heavy duty process that you're describing which again again it's different mechanisms it's different brain chemistries different things that are happening but the principle remains the same i think if a if an antidepressant is going to be used well it's got to be used well in the context of all these sorts of key, these these sorts of important questions What is moral health? You know, how are you pursuing it in your life? Uh, is is so huge to this, right? Like, it, we're not here just to have experiences. That's not what we're here for. Like, there's it is so integral to your mental health is living a life for for what is good. Cultivating virtue in yourself is crucial to your mental health in every way, shape, or form. You know, your doctor who's just writing you a prescription to SSRIs to feel better isn't sitting there with you can't be even if they could even if they're the kind of person who would be a great guide on that journey they don't have time to say nothing about all the people who aren't right like so what you're describing and it was it was very similar when i watched that uh, documentary watching this this soldier this with a ptsd the first thing i thought was that's amazing but you also had to have a therapist who was there for 24 straight hours without sleeping to get you there there are not a lot of people <laughs> available out there in a place like canada uh so both within the church and outside the church like it's a very high bar what you're describing it's kind of amazing but get, do we have enough will we have enough can we have enough practitioners does everyone have to go talk to you father jeffrey <laughs> and you will get i will percent you'll do nothing you'll be up all night every night forever helping people yeah. trip the right way well, I can't speak to the ketamine thing because that's the. It's an odd one to be grouped in with all of this. I'm saying it, it's, it's very different. Yeah, very. Primarily very different. there because it's the, the one legal thing. It, it doesn't yeah. actually have any of the fun aspect of this, right? There's, there's no trip or journey or such. It, it's just a, a kind of. It's an aesthetic. Ketamine is an aesthetic. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it, they don't have. But people do. People do trip to some degree. Yeah, is my understanding. I've I've never taken ketamine. Yeah, there are, there are especially strongly dissociative experiences. Exactly, it's more that dissociation probably. with yourself. It it doesn't yeah. have with you know it doesn't allow you to write beautiful you know pop music or or paint paintings or do all those kind of fun things that 
that uh, LSD or psilocybin do. Um, but no, I, I take your point. Um, and, and sadly, there's only so many places in the course I'll be offering <laughs> this summer. Um, but I, I, I guess I just don't want to give up, you know, because of the, the, the size of, of the challenge. I mean, if I can do anything to just raise awareness, and, and this is partly a, a kind of, you know, anti-colonial um, exercise as well. You know, when I, I went to the, the presentation at CAMH where this fellow who'd been doing um, some of that work down in South America for the last 45 years was there, but there was a, a different pa a panel of different people and actually largely talking about ketamine because that's the legal thing in, in Ontario. But um, at the end, I asked questions about, you know, how are they going to make sure at places like CAMH that they are embedding therapy within you know, these ancient traditions from which you know, they're taking these areas. It's just not like another colonial exercise the way Western medicine has, has functioned before. And before I even finished my question, it was a bunch, I didn't even realize there were a bunch of indigenous people in the back of, of the auditorium and they were like clapping and celebrating, you know. So I, what I'm at least trying to do is raise awareness that this is not a quick fix, that this is not, you know, just the next thing that comes down the the, the pipeline and everything. And, and that's more, that's more what I'm after. I mean, you say like, I don't want to give up just because of the size of the challenge, but that's absolutely fair. I mean, nothing could be more fair than that statement. Um, and, and I'd be with you there a hundred percent. That's not quite my objection. It's almost, but it's not quite my, my concern is that the narrative that's going to get built around this is going to be, Again, this this like I've sort of been saying multiple times here, you know, this fixes you. You just got a microdose. It will get taken over. It will get swept up. And very in these very, very, very early days when it's these small studies, when it's these small groups of people with amazing cutting edge cream of the crop therapists, the smartest, most talented, most skilled people that are available on this planet heading it up. And, and, and coming up with the therapy plan and, and the greatest, the priests who are ready for this, you know, you, right, are the ones there. We're going to go, wow, look at all these effects. And what I foresee is we're going to say, wow, this is incredible. This is incredible. And then we're going to open it up. And all of a sudden, every jackass Jones and every schmuck is going to be taking these drugs and prescribing these drugs and presiding over these therapies. And all of a sudden, we're going to turn back and be like, "This is this is this is shit. It doesn't do anything." Yeah. And uh, that and it that won't even really be true either. It's just that when we when we commercialize it, when we turn it into the McDonald's version of itself, it's going to be crap, just like a McDonald's hamburger. Hamburgers are amazing. McDonald's burgers suck because when you make them that way, when you manufacture them at industrial scale, I foresee the exact same thing. And so my concern is that, um, well, my instinct is that maybe the church should keep some distance for that reason, because this is where we end up. And I, I think you, I'm sure you have a counterpoint to that, which is probably going to be a good one. So I'll let you make it. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you the story of a guy who came to me um, and you know, these things already exist, right? I mean, you, you well, that's that's important. That's a crucial. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily the case that all over southern Ontario you can go and, and find these things, but people are right now paying thousands upon thousands of dollars to go to South America or to Portugal, places like that, where they can have you know these experiences. Well, here's the story of a guy who came to me. I don't know how many. Like journeys, I'll say, don't say trips, but you know how many times he'd gone abroad to do this sort of thing. But he told me he had probably had about 120, 130 ayahuasca experiences. 
and it never worked. Yeah, so uh, that was just what I was going to say. Like, what the hell at that point? Until, I know, how many times would you try this? Doctor, it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> but but the, then he found orthodoxy. And then suddenly, it was like this, you know, people talk about, okay, well, the, the you had the form of the sacrament, and then you entered the church, and it gave it retroactively gave the grace or whatever, you know, which is all kind of weird sacramental theology. But um, in this case, the experience and the kinds of insights that he was being led to, which were quite dark and scary indeed, mm. never made sense until he met Orthodox Christianity. And we, we've spent yeah. time talking, unpacking. So he didn't have the benefit of preparation or even immediate integration of the experience, but it was only once, you know, I was able to, to kind of it's, it's so weird. Because, I mean, how many people in the world would have been able to sit down with and actually have that conversation, right? Because I got what he was talking about. Yeah, and yeah. Before he told me about the experiences, I asked, have you ever been, have you ever had a psychedelic? I just had an inkling, an instinct that that was what was going on. Right. And so, okay. so we were able, I mean, how many priests would have just said, well, no, we have nothing to do with that. Let's not talk about it. Let's move on. Well, you know, you can be a catechumen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that seems I, uh, unacceptable. Yeah, I worked with what he had. I worked yes. with that experience. Well, you have to. You and have then to. we unpacked it. And so maybe that's right. at the very least what I'm asking. Well, so, okay, so so this is, I think this gets to the heart of where, of where what maybe what my concern is and maybe you'll just assuage it i think knowing you father you're not gonna you're not gonna just assuage my concern completely but but let i'll, I'll put it to you anyway i guess in a lot of ways what my biggest question is 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 the trajectory of what you're trying to do with this class with with your research with the work with this is this to be more prepared to respond to a world that we know for damn sure is going to be out there taking every mushroom there is? Because that's for sure. And if that's what you're doing, I, I, like you can sign me up and I will march right next to you. I mean, I probably, I'm not as interested as you, but anyway, I, you have my full support. Like, because this is going to happen, right? And it is going to cause, it's going to have spiritual dimensions. People are going to have those experiences. They've done ayahuasca and then they walk into a church. We have got, we have got to be able to say, okay, well, let's talk about that and not be scared of it and not just set it aside and say, oh, no, no, bad, bad, shameful, that's drugs. You know, we don't, because, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can't get away with that. But but what my fear is, and, and maybe this is just simply not what you're doing, but like, are there scenarios where you think we as a church or you as a, a pastor would actively recommend that someone go use these things? That's That's more where I get concerned. It's not currently legal. <laughs> so, so right now I, you wouldn't. They're hiding, Father. So is this a scenario in which, you know, it is available for, I mean, uh, on the one hand. Mushrooms you know, are coming. They're going to be legal. But, I, and I've already years. said, and I also think it's very odd to make illegal something that just, I can go out into nature. and. Oh, I think I got to tell you, Father, I think that's specious. Really? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, so well, you, so heroin, everything should be legal then. I mean, those heroin, well, heroin just comes requires, from a poppy, and the, but that requires and, processing. I'm talking about something you just lift out of the ground. Right? I mean, you lift arsenic out of the ground. I mean, I can't put it in my wife's cup of tea just because it's natural. <laughs>
No, I think you're missing the, the, the slight nuance in my point there. Um, there are a lot, I mean, a lot of mushrooms are actually fatal too, right? I mean, let's, let's yes, exactly. But we, yeah. they're not considered, you know, whatever they call them in kind of schedule one substances or whatever. Right. You can't, do you know what I mean? Like, so, not the, contraband. They're not contraband. You, you can't be arrested you know, for, for possession of set or growing them in your garden or, or whatever. Right. Whereas they've tried to say this, this kind of fungus, you know, is just, it's in the same kind of category as all these processed drugs that are out there. Right. Which do, of course, everything's natural. I mean, uh, I'm not going to get into the kind of Dominican uh, discussion of natural and and all that sort of thing. So I mean, everything is natural on one level or another, but I'm talking about the actual, what, what they banned as a substance. How can you ban a substance that is actually naturally occurring, right? So that's that's the difference, right? So nobody's banned arsenic um, in, in that sense, right? This is, it doesn't show up on those things. You obviously can't use it to kill somebody. That's the part which is illegal. I get that, right? So the, that, but that's, you can't kill anybody with anything. So the, the, the law is pretty clear on that. So it's this banning of a naturally occurring phenomenon which is odd for a government to set out to do and this is uh, to me this is by far the weakest argument you've made all night so let's just move past it i don't even, I don't even want to deal why with it i think it is so why don't we ban I, hurricanes just, and earthquakes i and, think this is so so specious if we could ban earthquakes father i would 100 percent support banning earthquakes. why didn't we ban covid like seriously we went if COVID. we could i would be for it yes i would say you should well, and a virus is not about it. Like you know, if that was a lab leak, then you know maybe we should be cracking down on you know whether you can carry viruses. Okay, at all. but those are other kinds of illegal. But um, okay. but, so, but I think that's immaterial to the point. The, the question is like you know, do we? And maybe this is just still an open question. Um, and in which case, that I think I would say that's completely fair. No, I, like maybe I'll it's just the question. No, you know, it, do it, do we recommend this yeah. ever? Sometimes, yes, and I and I and you think again, sometimes we do. Yeah, I, I think so. In my Dantean model, you know, I think the probably something like a majority of Orthodox Christians are in purgatory and are making progress, and through all the mm-hmm. kind of ordinary things that we offer in terms of spiritual discipline and repentance and and just ongoing participation in the liturgical life of the church, which hopefully, if they're paying attention to that narrative, it's grabbing hold of their own stories. They're re-narrating their lives according to the pattern of Christ. That's That's all well and good. But for those people, for whatever reason, are stuck. You know, it might be a, a diagnosis they got or that trauma they're carrying or some abuse they've suffered or even some horrible sin they've committed and maybe kind of blotted out of their memory. But for whatever reason, they're stuck. I think having this kind of thing within our arsenal and rather than saying, no, no, that's just something we'll let the medical sciences take care of or whatever. Because the problem with this is it's not medicine in that sense. It properly only works when it's connected to this, the story of the church. So whether that means that we have trained people who are psychotherapists, who are Orthodox Christians, who who, who get permission to do this and who know the whole story and are working with the, you know people who are leading liturgy and, and guiding people in the spiritual life, who are doing sacraments, whether that's happening, whether the church is running these things, I don't know, or whether we're just making sure that whoever is doing this work has a some kind of living interface with Orthodox Christianity in this deepest wisdom tradition that we're part of. That's what I'm pleading for. That that for us to abandon it and to just write it off is to is to write off 
ultimately the possibility of healing because uh you know our story is the true one i don't know if you've caught wind of that yet but it's it, it's it's the it's the one that matters it's the one that it matters for every human being and i think making sure our story is somehow connected to anything that gives people a fighting chance to get unstuck and going in this sacred journey of transformation is something we need to support i don't i don't know how a person could disagree with that last piece um but there's 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 this whole other thing uh, that for me is where my concern ultimately comes from, which is that people in this culture, in this society are so ready to want substances, medications, drugs of various kinds to be so essential to this transformation. And, and I'll be the first to admit that my hesitation with a lot of that comes from some really, really challenging, enormously challenging experiences I've had of how hard I've had to fight against other people demanding that I accept that framework. And if I had accepted, for me, me, Dan Opperwall, if I had accepted that framework, I don't, I don't believe I'd be alive. And so the, the, the tremendous, and, and I don't believe I'm the only one either. So the, de, the degree of pastoral delicacy, the, the tremendous pastoral delicacy needed when, you, when people are going to be pounding down the door, or people already are all over our culture pounding down the door for that pharmacy, when, when a lot of times what they need is to be told, you precisely need to not look at the chemicals. You precisely need to realize that that's the last thing you need, that there's nothing wrong with your brain, that everything is already here right now. And you need to get your, your shit together with your moral health. And you need to, you know, lean into these existing, these old tried and traditions. That's exactly what you need. Uh, we have got to have a capacity to say that and to say that boldly mm -hmm. to people who are going to come and say, no, 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 no. I want you to tell me that I need mushrooms. We need to be able to say, you don't. You need, that's the worst thing for you to do, for you. Even if there's another person on that list where that's the answer. If we lose that capacity the way the rest of our society has lost that capacity, if we lean too far into this, like, you know, pharmaco, this and that, um, something that saved my life could be lost in our tradition. And that's what I fear. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I think there's still a conflation here of these things with all of that, right? And and I think actually one of the advantages of this approach, if particularly when it's grounded in this proper, you know, wider wisdom tradition and so forth, is that it's precisely the, uh, the opposite to what all of the you know, antidepressant industry and everything has been foisting on people. I'll tell you a story of another friend of mine, and um, uh, she's written a beautiful article about this, but she has bipolar um, disorder and I think also a traumatic, you know, brain injury um, that, that she's been coping with. And she's been kind of in dialogue with her therapist who's been trying to just medicate her, right? And you know, get her to to mm -hmm. to be normal, right? To come back to some balance, to come come back to some you know kind of baseline. You you've talked about that you know earlier in this episode and so forth. And um, her experience has been that it's when she's not medicated that she has the most profound experience of the transcendent of the divine that she feels most herself. That the in fact what the pharmacological solution being offered is actually being less herself being less human 
ultimately. And I think one of the advantages of the, the wrapping of everything to do with mental health, everything to do with human well-being within these deeper traditions such as ours, in fact, mostly like ours, is that we can actually recover a diversity of what human well-being, you know, looks like, right? And, and to say that actually it's, you know, we don't need drugs to make people just fit a box, we, you know, to kind of take them away from what they're, they're deeply feeling or take them away from what, what they're ultimately experiencing and so forth. That what we need is for people to be reconnected to communities that will allow them to be, you know, who they are. Right. And so, I mean, the, 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 I think the wonderful thing about something coming along that replaces a whole industry that's been about dehumanizing people and and taking away all of that is that we have the capacity to say, like we have said in our tradition of saints, that we have all kinds of weird and wonderful people. In fact, I think a lot of the fools for Christ probably fit one or another, you know, modern medical diagnosis. Um, and, you know, if, if, pe if people with those, you know, pharmacological tools had been around, we wouldn't have had those saints because they would have just been made normal, right? Stop dressing like that. Stop hanging around in a rubbish heap. Stop, you know, taking off your clothes in liturgy and what all the things that people did, right? Um, they're not normal things. And yet they're part of our beautiful and diverse, you know, tradition. And I think that part of what this all all of this offers and our opportunity to be involved in a kind of inception of something here is the possibility of saying there's a diversity and a depth to human experience and communion with God that, that we, you know, that the pharmaceutical industry has been taking us away from for, for far too long and just trying to create, I don't know what automaton citizens to, to be compliant with a late uh, modern Western capitalist culture and economy, et cetera. So, um, so I, I hear your story. I mean, I hear these kinds of things all the time about but this. This is what we are doing now. This is what we are saying now. Why what? take a step towards what they're doing? And this is, and I don't, I precisely don't mean this in the sense that there's no value whatever in, in um, psychopharmacology. I precisely think there is, but it's, I don't want to see lost the only space I see left at all when I look at the world around me where someone will tell me stop thinking about your brain and chemicals and taking this drug or that drug stop thinking about that think about all these other things get yeah. back to the basics the only space I see at all anywhere anymore around me for that is basically the church or, or other you know similar religious institutions yeah. and you know we can bring in the drugs but that's but they're not mm. drugs. That's the part I want to take out of the the equation. That's the conflation. Yeah, of course, they're drugs. Nixon, you know, rap. Well, no, they're not. They're not. I mean, only if you consider sugar in the same category, right? Uh, but actually, sugar is far more dangerous for you and far more addictive. Um, so, you know, th these are these are just plants and fungi. You know, so uh, calling them drugs is to to have lost the battle already and to kind of hand it over. Uh, you know, to to a whole industry and to, to a whole way of thinking about it. Uh, the, the, precisely the reason this is going to unpower, the, you know, the the big pharma, etc., is that they, you know, you mentioned microdosing. Okay, that that put that aside. But the fact that somebody might be able to go through an intervention and then be part of a journey of transformation that requires one intervention rather than a daily dose of something that they're going to pay for, you know. Or yeah, but so and that, that sounds that sounds really interesting and promising to me, but I don't know why 
and, and the church, I, where I agree with you 100% is that the church needs to have pastoral responses to that um, because it will be happening, right? People will be doing it. And, and just as we don't, we don't just tell people, you know, who are suffering severe depression, we, a good spiritual guide will tell them, you should talk to a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And maybe, maybe they do get on an antidepressant, and maybe that is part of their spiritual journey. But what's the piece that the church focuses on? Um, I just want that to still be the things that we do now. Yeah. And, and sure, if we see benefits, you know, therapeutic benefits in the medical world for people, we should be part of that conversation. Absolutely. Um, but I think the church needs to do what the church is doing. I think what we offer to people's lives needs to continue being what it is. And I don't think that I'm sure you wouldn't disagree with at all. So the question is whether this is an erosion of that. That's kind of how I see it, potentially at least, or whether it's not an erosion of that. That that ends up being the fundamental question. Yeah. And for those who have experienced it, who are already, you know, accustomed to what the church offers and have been participating in that and experiencing that, I mean, it seems pretty overwhelmingly conclusive that they see this not as an erosion, but you know, complementary at least, if not an enhancement, you know, to, to, to the very kinds of things that they've already, you know, experienced through this. And so that, you know, the experiences of those who haven't used any substances, but have had, you know, mystical, um, you know, experiences in their lives, and those who, you know, have accompanied doing all the things the church does that you've talked about and, and, and added this in, you know, they're indistinguishable, right? So they, 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 they talk about the same kinds of ultimate experiences. They talk about the, the benefits that that has offered to that sacred journey of transformation and, and so forth. So again, it's not about foisting this on anybody, but maybe having this as an additional part of our toolkit for, for those who, you know, in this time of great mental health crisis and and so forth when so much of the church you know has either say withdrawn altogether just given that over to uh, medical industry and how many of our parishioners are just locked into long-term you know deals with the devil of big pharma etc uh, and I, to my knowledge i don't think any orthodox church or theologian has ever weighed in on on that and yet you know here as i said my friend who has you know diagnoses and is suffering with this is pushing back and telling her therapist you know no i don't actually want to be made well in your definition of being made well i i feel more myself i feel more in touch with god i feel more productive more creative more human when i'm not on on this medicine and where has the church ever offered any support for people who are feeling like that i hear you sort of saying that kind of thing. And I think we need to be more proactive with this here. The, the exciting thing about this is that it's not those kinds of enslavement to chemicals and or even suggesting that there's something chemically imbalanced that needs to be redressed, you know, with this. It's not what it's about. It's about saying this is precisely another catalyst to do the kinds of things that we want you to be doing anyway, attending to repentance, to self-sacrificing love, to union with God, to to you know going out and 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 living that in in the world and so forth and which is you know remains our message uh regardless of what catalyst people are have access to or choose to to follow so so i think we're more or less agreeing but you know um the there's a little bit of nuance there around uh, well no I, just just to be clear to listeners i i don't i don't agree that the church should get into the business of recommending this to people i do agree that the church has to pastorally res respond but yeah but just to make sure it's it's crystal clear to anyone listening i i don't i don't think we should recommend this and if anyone who ever 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 asked me um i personally would say look for 
it's it, this isn't about consuming the right chemical and the more you you know the more you buy into that the you know the worse things will get that's and that's my opinion coming from my experience which isn't god's opinion um but just just to make sure that that's registered it's i i think what it is is a kind of technology and we don't yet i think the point about pharmaceutics pharmaceuticals and even psychotherapy like as 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 orthodox christians we have some instincts but not but not particularly well developed thoughts and teachings and all the less so does the the modern world that we live in have have a grasp on this on the significance of these technologies right psychotherapy is very much in its in its infancy and and i think that in order to handle these things my my growing sense is that it's not just about whether it works in one in this case or that case what works for me or what works for you um but a but a but a maturation of uh of a social culture as a whole. And I think in, in other words, in other words, we already are have to play catch up as Orthodox Christians. We already have to play catch up uh, in terms of cultural um, in terms of cultural maturation on how even to think about things like um, like psychotherapy and the pharmaceutical in industry and and this and this will be another, like how to think about not just for me or, or for you or for for this or that instance, but as a but as a society as a whole. Um, I think there's a I think there's a long way to go. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's a good spot to end. So a huge <laughs> thanks, Father Jeffrey, for joining us. A very very uh, rousing, interesting, fascinating conversation and. It will continue to happen uh, uh, throughout the church, uh, and between us, no doubt, as well. God willing. Thank you very much. Thanks. Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash menamongdemons for exclusive content and to join the conversation.